0: Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we are looking at The Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright. And today,
1: hero introduction... One, four, six, carry the one, six! <laughs>
0: that's right. <laughs> today we're dun, talking dun, about... Dun, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Finally. Finally, uh, today we're talking about Minute 44, which begins with Cap not liking it and ends with Cap not getting it. Cap just can't get it. <laughs> joining us on the show today, we have Nathan Blackwell and Chrissy Lenz from the Most Excellent 80s Movies podcast. Hello, you two. Hey, how's it going? Good to be here. Hi. Great. We're
1: thrilled to have both of you joining us today. Of the two of you, who is most likely to do Pilates? Just
2: asking for a <laughs> right. Not me.
3: I'm not entirely
2: sure what they are. I used to think they were a drink. Oh. Um,
3: It's like yoga, but harder.
1: Yes. Mm. Yes. And I think it involves some sort of
0: equipment. It's not fun yoga. It's like hold this for five minutes. Well, all right. Well, you're joining us uh, midway onto the Quinjet, and you've picked five consecutive minutes. So we'll be talking with you uh, from here through minute 48 of the film. And so I guess, uh, you know, first question for the two of you, uh, is there any particular reason that you picked this particular section of the
2: film? Um, well, <laughs> I, well, I can speak for myself. Um You know, it's it's. There's a couple of of favorite moments, but you really, as I guess, as a guest, you try to find something that in those five minutes, in in the different five minutes that you you have a good bandwidth of things to talk about. You know, it's like our very first one with Iron Man. We never got out of the cave, (laughs) and so we wanted we wanted a little. We wanted some quips. We wanted some action. We wanted some um, very, like, Whedon-esque dialogue to discuss. And then, yeah, and and it's um, it's one of, it, there's a lot of favorite moments I have in the Avengers, but this is one of them.
3: I agree. And I also, I wanted some Thor. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted some Thor and Loki. Uh, so that's why I picked them.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Well, that certainly makes sense. We we've got um, let's see, we've got one, two, three, four of our Avengers here in this in this particular minute. So uh, yeah, it's a it's a good little stretch to talk about. And we're on the on the Quinjet. And uh, you know, I guess the first note is, which you know, we will have likely talked about with our previous guest as well. We're recording these uh, out of order, but uh, so so uh, Natasha is piloting it i guess or is she co-piloting and then this random shield pilot is piloting it i'm not exactly sure but they both she's ha-
3: flipping a lot of buttons so she's mm-hmm. the button flipper. They're sort
1: of piloty buttons Right. Maybe co-piloty buttons.
2: I would say co-piloty buttons <laughs> like it's very possible that she's like still like doesn't like I I don't know the process of getting one's license, you know. Maybe she's still shadowing or maybe, you know, I it would be great if there was like a training session in there but <laughs> like an apprentice pilot. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you've got to get a certain amount of hours before you get your license. You sure do. (laughs) And normally she's like the the hero, like you know. It's like I'm sure she's going through some a little bit of like you know issue that normally she's like the badass hero waiting in the back, you know, and and then she's got and now she's kind of like relegated to like the help. Yeah. You know, that's really
1: interesting. Like, there is a whole angle on this movie where we just talk about imposter syndrome vis-a-vis Hawkeye and Black Widow. Mm-hmm. hmm it's definitely a thing that
0: I want to talk about more tomorrow as well, because of the specific conversation that she'll have with Steve, as he's kind of getting ready to jump into the fray. But I it's I don't know, I think it's interesting that the way that she has been brought into this particular section of the film is just because she's piloting the Quinjet. And it just seems a little... A little strange that that's her role here. I mean, you know, she's obviously manning the guns and stuff like that. But at this point, yeah, she I don't know. I don't know how Quinn Jets work every time we've seen it. There have always been two people at this point in the in the two pilot seats. But could she be getting up and actually be in the back having this conversation with everybody and just let the one pilot fly it?
2: Yeah, my guess is that they want this is a chance for. Iron Man and Captain America to be kind of like the hot shots like the rock stars, you know. Yeah. They
1: need to be able to make a quick heroic exit
2: momentarily.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Yeah. That's, that's kind of what we're it, it, it. To that end, does this end up feeling set up in any particular way where, you know, let's put Black Widow to the side because we've already kind of spent some time with her. We haven't had a chance to really see other than the few minutes before with with Steve and Tony where they first meet. But this is really the first time that we're getting these particular two characters in the same space together to actually have a conversation.
2: Yeah. It, it, and then in a moment, we're going to get Thor, which is the real tricky, like, you know, threading the needle of of really kind of like, you know, you you can make the case that that Iron Man and Captain America, despite their powers, are more grounded heroes. But once Thor shows up, now you're dealing with magic and and Fabio hair, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I
3: just don't like that they got the girl sitting up in the front being like, you guys settle down. And then she has to be like, sit this one out. You need to be careful. It's like
2: she's playing the like the role of the the every man, the normal person, like the normal human. You know,
3: she seems like she's playing the mom. She's like, (laughs) I'll turn this car around, boys. Uh Settle down back there.
2: That's it, it
0: feels very much that way. And, and I guess, you know, let's real quick jump into a brief conversation about uh, the director who we like to refer to as Tignataro on the show. <laughs> but when this film came out, did you find these issues at the time? Or is it kind of subsequently as things have come out about the director where you, you kind of revisit this and go, you know what, there is some stuff in here that I find less savory than, um then it it really feels like it should have been you know
2: no it it wasn't it wasn't something that was on my radar when I, I originally saw it
3: no me neither i just was it felt so fresh when i saw it uh, originally and then my kids were both obsessed with it as they were like little and so it was one of those movies that was always 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 on so i really feel like i'm looking back on it now with grown up eyes as we do with many 80s movies and going, oh,
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I was going to say it. Yeah, it ties in wonderfully with kind of the whole conceit of your own podcast, which is looking back at this stuff it goes, does it hold up as well as
2: <laughs> our memories? Yeah. Disliking I the mean, things you used to love.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> having to having to see them with some new knowledge that you didn't have at the time and wondering is, is innocence really, uh, all that great to give up <laughs> yeah and, and and i don't think you know I,
2: I mean personally even now rewatching the avengers there's not too much many things that really ding on my radar it's not it's really more like the justice league uh and 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 the the later stuff that really kind of seems like eh, question mark question mark at least for me that's interesting the justice league
1: gives you trouble so Marvel gets a pass, which is really lovely for this yeah, well, podcast because oh, we have wait. so many minutes ahead of us.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know. I just I think I think all the scenes with Wonder Woman are a little weird. You know? Well, and
0: when you're saying Justice League, you're specifically talking about Tignataro's theatrical version of it.
1: Correct. Correct. And Tig Notaro is everywhere. I know. Mm-hmm.
0: All over the place.
1: Really got around. Oh.
0: Anyhow. Yeah. Well, okay, so before we uh, talk a little bit more about kind of our our group and everything. I just want to talk a little bit about kind of the some of the specs that we're getting in this cockpit because I was looking at these numbers and I don't know the first thing about flying a plane. I never have, but I was I was looking online trying to figure out what is what did all the <laughs> things in a cockpit mean. Just so I could try figuring out any sort of bearings because we know they were in Stuttgart. We know they're going to wherever in the world the helicarrier happens to be, and we know that that's kind of uh, well. We will know soon. I should say, that by the time, um, you know, hulks are falling from the sky, they they are back kind of over the New York area. Mm-hmm. That being said, I do see a few things in here as, as I was looking at this. I see a 207, which if that's the the course heading, that, which is based on a 360-degree compass, that means they're likely headed south-southwest. Which makes sense because if they're in Stuttgart and they go south-southwest, it's pretty much mountains. Like, they're, they're flying across the Alps all the way down to the Mediterranean. So I don't know if the helicarrier has kind of shifted over to the Mediterranean. That's where we're going to meet up with it. I have no idea. Uh, 530 is likely the kilometers per hour that they're flying. I, I there are a few other numbers in here. I don't know what they mean, but there is a 30,549, which potentially could be their altitude. Um, it's usually cruising altitudes are between 33,000 and 42,000 feet. Um, so. It could be that it could be the 23359 if they're still climbing. They don't see super high. We're still seeing tops of a lot of mountains and everything. And it also doesn't seem like they're flying like, at you know, we we know that this thing could fly potentially up to Mach 2.1, which is incredibly fast. And at this point, it seems like a fairly uh, leisurely uh, flight that they're traveling, especially as people start falling out of the back end. They haven't even requested
2: for people to wear their seatbelts. Yeah,
0: right. Exactly. They're just still (laughs) walking around back there. So the whole thing, I I guess, uh, you know, I don't know. I I guess I've never really thought about this before, but specifically because we're about to jump into a whole bunch of mountains and kind of the mountainous area, I was curious. I'm like, where are they going? And and the only thing that makes sense is that they are flying across the Alps headed down toward the Mediterranean. So... Uh, I don't know, just a little bit of uh, interesting information about all of this. But um, it's really kind of the only thing that makes sense. And I I do specifically want to talk about the cliffside when we get there, because I also have some specific thoughts about that. But anyway, that's all kind of there. I don't know if any of you have anything to say about that, but I just wanted to uh, spew all of that out there. (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> that's all, That's what all the buttons that Natasha is flipping are. She's flipping, her. exactly, exactly. yeah mm-hmm. she, she turned on the the fastened seatbelt sign, but those are boys. Right. Just the boys do listen. She's
1: about to turn around and talk about that too. I'm sure.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> they will turn. They will turn this plane around.
3: They will. Right. I
1: think we're about to get to.
0: Here's another quick question. Where's the scepter at this point?
1: It's probably mm. in a it's bespoke, in uh, a, a perfect bespoke pelif- pelican case
2: with <laughs>
1: biometric <laughs> right. locks in yeah, a perfectly and you- shaped like overhead cabin.
2: I, I feel like once they've had enough superheroes, they've got like some sort of super luggage system that is like you know like has like lasers and like lockdown things. But I think at this point they're still kind of like realizing they've got to deal with these superhumans you know it's It's not a giant so it's probably in a storage container like a yeah, a pelican thing inside a safe.
3: I like to think that the person who is the pilot pilot is, has it down by their feet
0: just <laughs> like rest, resting his feet on them.
3: Yeah, exactly. He's like I don't know what to do with this. I'm just I'm going to put it down by my feet.
1: You know, the the greatest insult to injury, Black Widow's probably using it as a booster cuz those seats are all designed for men anyway. Come on. Yeah, she needs to be
2: higher. Awful. So rewatching this, it's because I I think it came out afterwards, um but now, whenever I see Captain America and Tony Stark uh, talking, I can't help but think of of Agent Carter of the TV show, you know, and kind of like the groundwork that they did with with you know Tony's dad, and kind of see I like I I I super I like I it's like when you watch the prequel and now when you watch the original, it kind of has a, an extra layer of subtext. Yeah. I can't help but kind of think of 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 agent Carter. And I shoot, what's Tony's dad again, Howard, Howard, Howard Stark, um, Howard Stark. And, and kind of like what Tony must be thinking, like there's this extra layer of, of Tony processing Howard's feelings about this dude, you know, that I impose when I watch this scene now.
0: Well, and especially, and I suppose that generally holds true with, um, Like when you're, when a parent has passed or something, and then you come across somebody that they had known in their life as like a friend who, like, you might never have known them or you may have when you were a kid or one of those things, Mm -hmm. but somebody that you come across at some point and you're like, oh, and you kind of, you have that sense like you knew my my parent when they were around when they were young when they were my age and you kind of want want to kind of get that perspective and it i I don't know i guess yeah when is i'm trying to think when is the first time we really get any sense from from tony in any conversation with with steve as far as like uh conversations about his dad does that it it certainly isn't going to happen for a little while right
3: could it be the everything that's good about you came out of a bottle line?
1: Oh, interesting. Maybe.
0: Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um that might be Yeah, cuz yeah, I guess um I don't know. I don't know. We'll just have to pay attention to mm-hmm. that because it is something that's worth talking about as far as Tony uh, I mean, he's he certainly is never going to just sit down and ask Steve tell me stories about my dad, you know, and he's not like that sort of person, but yeah.
2: Cuz I I mean he in this one he mentions him being a capsicle, which to me feels like a slight little ribbing in that direction, you know.
1: Oh, the, the uh, this—that's one of the reasons I love this minute so much. It's those those few lines, right? Rock of Ages giving up so easily—I don't remember it being easy. Guy packs a wallet. Still, you were pretty spry for an older fellow. What's your thing? Pilates? Like that is—that is the ultimate sort of just layered kind of ageist insults uh, and assigning Pilates, which already has a bit of uh, stereotype to it. Like uh, that is, that's a, that's a real vibe he's going for in these insults. And he knows Cap isn't going to get those references, right? That's the whole, no. I get that reference joke that keeps coming back in, uh, which is, I, I think really great. You might've missed a couple of things, you know, <laughs> I, I think it's perfect. I think it's perfect banter.
0: Well, uh, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that because I have thoughts. Uh, Just, just real quick before we do though. Tony's nickname tracker. Uh, you know, we started this um, a few minutes ago, or last minute actually. But here we have number two, Rock of Ages, and number three, Capsicle. So yes, we we'll keep we'll keep track of all of his nicknames as he um, throws them out over the course of the film because there are plenty of them. But I did mm-hmm. so. But you know, Pete, since we're shifting the conversation into that direction, it's definitely worth talking about as far as Tony and his position his attitude that he kind of takes with with Steve at this point because yeah. i mean you you seem to really enjoy all of this and i i mean i'm not so sure i like this banter from tony at this point suddenly everything that he's doing seems so Um, Like he has such buried antagonism in all the lines that he's going to be saying over the course of this next five plus Mm -hmm. minutes because of this, you know, because we're building to a big, you know, battle between the heroes sort of thing. But I just don't know. I don't know if it's just um, I I don't know. I guess I'm not sure exactly why suddenly this is the the attitude that he's taking at this point Um, with somebody that he's never met. And it seems, I don't know, I guess when it's a senator in in Iron Man 2, like some of that makes sense because of, there's already kind of some antagonism. But right out of the gate here, I guess I'm not quite sure. And I guess I was curious um, how everybody else thinks about the, the way that this scene plays.
2: Yeah, I, I definitely think that he is feeling defensive, you know. Um, you know, I, Tony's love language is teasing and it, and it can, it can definitely become a little too sharp if he's feeling defensive. And I feel, and I think he feels defensive about not being the only hero. I think he feels defensive about Captain America in specific, you know,
3: Mm -hmm, mm
2: -hmm. um, and I think he feels a little off balance, kind of not knowing what the hell's going on.
3: I think it is a little of imposter syndrome too. Like he's showing off. Uh, he's showing off for Cap. Uh, you know, that, that he is this sort of worldly badass, you know, millionaire play, playboy philanthropist What is the line. Genius millionaire playboy <laughs> th- philanthropist. Like that's his, he can't wait to just show off that that's who he is. And he knows uh all these things that Cap doesn't. So I think it is probably defensiveness, but it's it's probably that imposter syndrome too. Um, but I like it. I like when Tony is uh the sassy, um, snarky um person who's not just like sort of towing the shield company line of uh we gotta do the right thing, you know, in that cap way of like orders are orders and we need a plan. He's got, got a plan. You know, like, I, I am quite delighted by his sassiness.
1: I, <laughs> I just want to add to all of the sassiness that, in, in my view, Tony is a child right and he has a lot to learn and so much of this like preening attitude is because everything that he knows about cap is about how his dad felt about cap and all of the stories about cap that he knows from cap being frozen for 70 years and now here's tony a normal guy who has to have all the powers that cap has as a man by adding on all these machine attributes and i think there's some of that just like hey I'm I am the boss here. You can't just waltz in here with your flesh and blood superhuman stuff and and think that you can you can be better because I've been evolving this technology and my my strength is 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 something to be noticed. Notice me, right? And I, I think that's that's part of what it is. So apart from the fact that I just like the way the dialogue is written, I think the the positioning here is really valuable because it does lead to a conflict that at this point I'm starting to see as a viewer the fabric of the MCU really coming together, right? In hindsight, like I can see how this moment leads all the way to Civil War, you know what I mean? And I think that's starting to be gratifying because some of the things we've been talking about over the last five movies is hey, we're just kind of throwing some things up in the air to see if it sticks. And now I can start to look back and see there is there is absolutely a method it's, you know, they may have screwed up the color of the gem last time but they're figuring it out now right like those are those are some of the things that are going on in my head
3: it leads all the way to end game yes like the the seeds that they're planting in this scene and in this film echo all the way through to end game when they finally get their their payoff mm-hmm. so
1: for sure
0: yeah. I, you know, I, I mean, you haven't quite swayed me. I definitely see all of your points with all of this. It definitely makes sense. And, and all of that feels legitimate as far as like the reasons in the context of the film as to why all of this is happening. And in the history of comic books, inevitably, there are plenty of times where you have Uh, Heroes fighting each other because they're coming at something from different points of view and they fight each other until they realize, hey, we're on the same side. Let's actually work together. And then you get team ups and all that sort of stuff. It's, It's kind of part of comic book history this is a part of the film that i always end up struggling with because i kind of just don't buy it and i end up really struggling with this entire section of these three uh, heroes just kind of going at it and destroying forests and everything i just i really struggle with the whole conceit and i i um i don't know i'm i'm curious to kind of have some more conversations about it and see where it goes because i mean your points are completely valid and i definitely see all of that and so i don't know i guess we'll just see how it all shakes out over the course of this so
2: yeah, I kind of felt what you're feeling Andy more in the in the um the scene where the scepter is kind of controlling all their minds. Like it it just felt a little too twisted. I mean, I you know, and I understand that they're being controlled by it, and manipulated it, but it, that that section to me felt a little forced.
3: Do you think like maybe there's just based on like what Pete was saying about uh the reaction of Tony to Cap, like, is there, like, a sort of parallel to how Loki feels about Thor in that sort of, like, little brother, big brother dynamic?
1: Oh, I like that.
0: It's it's definitely an interesting element that um, uh, is... I think there's certainly something there and we're going to I mean we're going to be talking a lot about kind of the Thor Loki dynamic as brothers as princes and all that sort of thing as we kind of move in kind of the our conversation over the next few minutes Uh, and and that could be an element also between the idea of Tony and Steve as far as their perspective on their position as the person who is uh, you know the one who should be the head of all of this you know
3: Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. I like that so at this point, we're also kind of as an audience, and then also as our characters, Steve and Tony. There is kind of this mystery as to Loki and his involvement in everything going on. Why did Loki give himself up? We'll figure all of that out over the you know over the next you know several um, minutes as we kind of get onto the helicarrier with Loki and everything. But as far as your perspective, do you feel like? did were you asking yourself yeah why did loki give himself up what's going on with this particular thing did it feel like there's some setup coming yeah i, I
2: it's hard for me to remember now not knowing or no, now knowing what happened but i i definitely knew i mean he's the trickster god <laughs> so you knew you knew that there was something up his sleeve Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely I mean, there definitely is something. And
0: so, yeah, I I think it is interesting. I do think it's also interesting that at this point, as they're confused about like he's not saying anything and and Loki seems to be somebody who always has something else to say. So it's I, I don't know if that feels part of his plan or or he's just being quiet for some other reason. But I did think that that was an interesting element of all of this. The fact that he's not saying anything.
1: You know what I love so much about his um <laughs> about his portrayal here when he turns around and says I'm not overly fond of what follows um is that it it really leans in on something that I've always kind of we we've talked about it bounced around a, a number of times which is about the stakes and in this case the physical stakes of these characters which are very low like we we know that they can beat the hell out of each other, and they're really kind of fine in the next scene. You know, maybe their suit's ripped. Like, the fact that Loki and Thor are brothers, and he says, oh, lightning, ugh, I'm not fond of what follows, because it's going to be a nuisance first. A nuisance (laughs) first, a threat second. And that feels so much like a brotherly line, and I just, I really (laughs) adore it. It's just a, and, and of course, Tom Hiddleston is... Just he, he's great when he gets these just little bits of, of scene chewing kind of dialogue.
3: Yes, everything for Tom Hiddleston. Give him all right. of the scene chewing.
1: <laughs> well, that
0: that's a good segue into the arrival of Thor. Um, how do you like? What do you, what do you all think about the way that it's depicted as far as Thor arriving? This is Sans Bifrost. This is our first time seeing him getting anywhere without it uh, it's not really called out as anything specific until you know uh, once he and loki are talking as to how he got here but uh, i don't know what did you think of the way that we see this happen
3: i never really like the whole bifrost thing was such a like afterthought to me it never even occurred to me that he was like getting somewhere without the bifrost until until they mention it I, to me, I was just like, "Oh, Thor goes where he wants, right?" <laughs> no, there's the whole the whole song and dance with the Heimdall. I forgot all about that, and so um, I just was excited for him to, you know, if that's part of the trick is that we got to get Thor down here on the scene. So yeah,
2: he's got to take a space cab. got to <laughs> yeah. take three different flights. It's like fine, yeah, right?
3: <laughs> it's, it's fine, and then he just kaboom lands on the roof. Hammer power.
2: For 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 me, it was it was. Oh, geez, I feel like they pulled off Thor in his movie with the kind of like, oh, it's technology that's so advanced it feels like magic. But now you're basically going to have that side by side with with Earth things that, you know, that are supposed to be pure on technology. So it's effectively the first time, I'm sure this is when Marvel was sweating, can we pull off the whole magic, can we pull off the different worlds of heroes combined together this is, this is now the, I, in, in my mind, the tough, like, even though Loki is from the same world and we see him at the beginning, like, I feel like this really is the moment of you get him with his flowing locks and his red cape and coming down on lightning and a, and a, and a magical hammer right next to the other characters from the other movies and that's a big
0: thing that they have to sell and they have to figure it out and you know I don't know I wonder if there is an element I I don't know I was I guess we should save our Bifrost and and how he got here conversation for uh the later minute when they actually start talking about that but I I definitely uh think there's an element to this one this landing feeling much less magical than the Bifrost you know it just it feels like he kind of flew here like Tony would do you know yeah. it just doesn't feel yeah. Um, it doesn't feel overly
1: magical at this point.
3: He just swung the hammer and whoosh, 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 kablooey.
1: Have we ever seen him land on like this? Land on a a plane or a like? Does he? He doesn't normally land on stuff like this. He lands on the ground, right? And the and the bifrost leaves his big pattern and.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you know, he's, he certainly has swung his hammer around to like transport himself places. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, I mean, we saw that a plenty in the, uh, in Thor when they're kind of, when he's getting around when they're battling all on Jotunheim and everything. And, and later when he's, when he finally gets the hammer on Earth and right. goes to stop the destroyer and everything. Like, there's plenty of that. But again, still. It's never been like on a flying object or anything like that. And yeah, um, so it's I mean, dramatic. It is, it is a little bit kind of brutal. Yeah. Yeah. It is. And it, weirdly, my brain always goes to, uh, the Twilight Zone episode with the, <laughs> yes, the, the, what is it, horror at 30,000 feet or whatever that, yeah, that's, let's go like gremlin on the, on the wings. Wing. So great. <laughs> so great. But, yeah. That's, uh, it's great. But yeah, it's, it is really fun to see Thor. And it's, it's amazing that for, a film about this core team of six heroes we met the bulk of them pretty early on, all within the first uh first twenty minutes and here we are at minute forty four and we 're finally getting thor into the film it's it 's interesting that they they kind of dragged this out for such a prolonged period mm-hmm. but i as, that's kind of where we should stop, because at this point, uh, Thor's on the roof of the Quinjet, Tony's getting ready to hop off the Quinjet, and uh, we, we don't get any more confrontation. So let's save the rest of it for tomorrow when we jump into Minute 45. What do you all say? Let's do it. Okay. All right. Well, Nathan and Chrissy, uh, tell us a little bit about your podcast and where people can tune in and what else you're doing out there in the, in the world.
3: You want me to go? (laughs) Okay. Um, Yes, the Most Excellent 80s Movies podcast is uh, an exploration of the 80s movies we think we love or might have missed as we look at them with our, you know, modern eyes to see how do they hold up? What is problematic? What, you know, do we still find charming and delightful? Um and we sort of recap the movies, we review the movies, and we always give our uh ratings and deep cut recommendations, which is something a little less obvious than what Amazon is going to recommend or Netflix is going to recommend. You <laughs> a little next. less
2: obvious. We we try <laughs> it. <little less> <laughs> we try it. Yeah, the, the, it's it's ultimately like an entertainment podcast, um, but the subtext is that. Are, are the things that I loved as as a kid like still good? <laughs> like were they ever good? <laughs>
3: some of them are too. Some of them are. Yeah. Yes. Right, some right. of them are surprisingly still very very good.
0: That's always nice. And to- some
3: and some are not. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs>
0: Well, check out that podcast, everybody. We'll have the link in our show notes along with uh, all the other uh, links that uh, Chrissy and Nathan have so you can uh, see what they're up to out there. And that's it. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about Minute 45. So, uh, Pete, thanks as always. That's right, Andy. Tomorrow, brothers got a hug. <laughs> Until next time, true believers.